For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Welcome in, Wizards fans, to another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moderno. Got a great episode here for you today. Our guest is going to be Greg Finberg. Greg is a journalism student at Penn State, but we won't hold that part against him. I recently tweeted out offering a platform for young journalists to come on and and talk about the Wizards and give their takes. So Greg is a journalism student at Penn State, as I mentioned. So he's going to be the first of several kind of up and coming uh, junior correspondents on Believe in Wizards to come on and and give their takes on the team and, and what they've seen so far. If you follow Greg, on Twitter, you know that he's got a great mind for basketball and he follows the Wizards super closely. If you don't already, we'll give out his information during the show and in the episode description. So make sure you do. He's a must follow. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about the Wizards' most recent preseason game against the Charlotte Hornets. It was a 116-107 win. Uh, Porzingis looked really good in the first half, had 20 points, and then went down with an ankle injury. Kuzma had 15 points, five rebounds. Barton had 16 points, six assists. Rui had 15 points, three rebounds. Monte Morris had zero points, but seven assists. DeLon Wright, 10 points. Gafford, 14.7 rebounds and three assists. We're going to talk about those as well. Uh, Jordan Goodwin looked really good to me for the young guys. Actually, Anthony Gill got the start. We're going to talk more about that. The name you kind of probably noticed you haven't heard yet so far, if you didn't watch the game, was Bradley Beal. He was put into health and safety protocols as a COVID precaution, so he missed the game. He is now out of health and safety protocols. Uh, but we'll stay day-to-day with a non-COVID-related illness. So not sure exactly when we'll get Beal back on the court, but we'll you know we'll talk about all that stuff during the episode. Uh, today, we just want to cover a couple things before we get to the bulk of the show. We've been doing our ongoing prospect profile series. We'll kind of briefly talk about this and talk about this Metropolitan's 92 game that features Victor Wembanyama, the probably likely number one pick in next year's draft. A generational talent is not sort of too extreme a term to give him. And the G League Ignites, Scoot Henderson. Those are obviously the two major prospects. The other guy from that game that's probably going to get lottery consideration is Leonard Miller. If you follow the NBA draft last year leading into the draft, he did kind of throw his name into the pool as a Canadian high school player. He would have been the youngest player in the draft. This year, he's playing with the G League Ignite, kind of trying to build up his his stock and his body and his skill set and his physicality and all those things that you need to kind of uh, hang with actual professionals. So thought that was a better way for him to do that than going the college route. So we'll see if it pays off for him. Miller is six foot 10 with a seven, two wingspan. He weighs about 215 pounds right now. So he's probably gonna have to get stronger and bigger and all that good stuff. But for a, you know, a high school aged player, he's 18 years old right now. He'll be 19 years old on draft night. He's got some impressive features to his game. I think he's really long, has some upside as a perimeter score. I think for a guy, you know, that size, Honestly, he probably plays more small forward on offense than than you would expect for somebody six foot ten. It's a little Kuzma esque because he has the ability to put the ball on the floor, can create for others a little bit. You know, sometimes he does get tunnel vision, but he's also again playing with high school guys last year, so kind of don't blame him a whole lot for being selfish at times. We'll see how that you know looks against or with you know his G League peers and other NBA caliber guys if he's willing to create a little bit more off the dribble for people uh, for for people other than himself. So he can make some jumpers. He's got good touch, especially around the rim. But the jump shots, it's going to need a lot of work. Like it, it, it does look a little wonky mechanically. It's not to say it's like totally broken, but he, he's going to refine that. He's a lefty. He's no problem, like I said, getting to the rim. He's great in transition, but will need to clean up that jump shot. Like for him to be a an effective perimeter player, he's going to have to shoot it. Uh, he's got a really tight handle for someone his size, in my opinion. There aren't many six foot ten guys I've seen kind of put the ball on the floor the way he does. 
he was like six foot five ish, maybe even a little smaller two years ago. So I think he kind of brought those guard skills up with him. And part of this, you know, the last two years has just been him growing into his body a little bit more. So, like I said, he was one of the younger players considering last year's draft, or actually the youngest player considering last year's draft. So it's kind of natural for him to be like slightly underwhelming, maybe compared with some of those guys. And I think he'll probably have a big year in this Metropolitan's exhibition game. He was kind of bad in one of the games and, and a lot more intriguing in the other. So we'll see what that looks like. The thing I like most is he just didn't care about being on the wrong side of a poster. Like many people aren't going to challenge Victor Wembanyama at the rim. And he was willing to go up there and try to get a block. And he got absolutely like hammered on and just kind of shrugged it off. I, I like the edge. Uh, in high school, he mean mugged somebody after literally every basket he scored. Maybe just a two, like a tad bit extreme there. But overall, I kind of like it. Uh, so like I said, this guy is somebody that you're going to see his name mentioned in the draft. I know not everybody watches G League basketball, but if you watch any of the Ignite this year, kind of pay attention to him when you see Scoot Henderson out there too. And I do think there's like some Kuzma vibes. So, you know, if the Wizards are drafting, I think Tankathon has him 17th right now in their mock draft. So that could be the range the Wizards are in if they make the playoffs. So again, he's kind of worth keeping an eye on and we'll just see how he develops throughout the course of the year. But he's a name I wanted to throw out there for any of you that are kind of tracking draft names to watch and stuff throughout the season. Uh, before we get to our conversation with Greg, just as always, we're presented by betonline.ag. Football is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all wagering info, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use your promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline where the game charts. And also, I just want to throw out a little note. If I am uh, sort of scratchier or frog-throated or something today, uh, the USTA, uh, the United States Tennis Association, has a it's the biggest recreational sports league in the world. Uh, my teammates and I played in a national championship this past weekend, so there's a lot of yelling and screaming. Finished third in the country, so uh, shameless plug there for, for any of my teammates listening to this, but yeah, that's why I'm a little scratchier than normal. So apologies for that. Hopefully it's not too annoying or distracting and try to just power through here. Uh, with that, let's get to my conversation with Greg. Okay, I'm pleased to be joined by Greg Finberg. Greg, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we can uh, just kind of go through this, you know, Wizards preseason game real quick and, and try to just hit all the high points and, and break it down for folks who didn't get to see the game. And we'll tease the last... Um, Last preseason competition coming up on Friday and just kind of go from there. I guess the first thing to start with, Greg, I mentioned kind of in the intro for folks that Bradley Beal did not play last night because of health and safety protocol stuff. Uh, so I thought the starting five in his absence was interesting. They went with Monte Morris, Will Barton, Anthony Gill, Kyle Kuzma, and Kristaps Porzingis. Gill is obviously the one that, that stood out to me there the most. And it was interesting because the broadcast team mentioned twice that uh, – Gill was starting in place of Beal. So that gives me the expectation that Barton would have been starting regardless. So I don't know. Does that, did you think the Gill choice was interesting? And do you think it seems set in stone at this point that Barton is probably their starting three on opening day? Uh, I did think it's interesting. I am an Anthony Gill believer. I, I love his play. He plays so hard. He's always gone for loose balls and he's just the type of locker room guy that everyone seems to love. So it's always awesome to see people like that get opportunities. Um, but what you said, he started for Brad. It's very interesting because I think Barton does start at the three. Um, I mentioned this in my previous article when I outlined who I think should start at the small forward. I think it's not Denny's kind of out of the race. His groin injury kind of eliminated him from that. And then you kind of put him up against Rui, who Rui has played and exceeded expectations. I mean, I when he played in Japan, that was that was way more than I expected. Um, but I think Barton just gives the defense that Rui is, he's getting better, but he kind of lacks. And then it's the spacing. I feel like Rui likes to operate in that mid range area. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be necessarily open with the driving lanes for Morris and for Bio and for Kuzma. So I feel like his scoring kind of is better off the bench. So I did think that Barton starting does set it in stone. I think, um, we saw last year, Wes Unsell likes to go with the veteran presence. He started KCP at that forward spot a lot. Um, so I think Barnes starts at the three. We see Rui come off the bench as sort of a six-man role. 
Um, but I did, I did, I did think it was, it was really strange to go with Gil there. Um, he, he provides good minutes, but to replace Brad, it didn't really make sense, but I thought Barton played very well. And I think he is solidified at that three spot. Yeah. I'm with you on Barton. I, I've kind of been consistent that I think he is the opening day starter. I, I would maybe kind of consider some other names too, because I do like his scoring off the bench. I think he could give them that, that punch and, and maybe be a little more free to operate, but it's not like they have a, a super rock solid option that would take his place there at this point either. At least what you figure out, like you said, what, what you do with Rui and what he's best suited for at this point is the shooting from last year from him, kind of a real, you know, carryover. I think that's all sort of an open question. The guilt thing is weird to me. I, I never understand this thing from coaches and Drew Gooden mentioned it, how Anthony Gill will likely be one of those guys that won't play for two or three games. And then all of a sudden he'll come in and get a start. And he just kind of said that as like a very nonchalant thing, but I don't, I never really understood that approach to me. Like if someone's not good enough to play in your normal, like normal rotation, why you wouldn't just promote one of the guys. It's not throwing your bench unit off all that much to have Rui Hachimura start the game. And then maybe he just hangs around and gets a few more minutes. I'm not sure why I have nothing against Gil. I don't think he's a huge needle mover on the court. I think he's a great like 10th man for all the reasons you said off the court, but you know, I just, to me to give him like a, a fringe start here and there is just a very weird choice, but I don't know. Hopefully Wes knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So last night's game, they started off very strong. Uh, they, they, as Kyle Kuzma put it, turned to shit at some point uh, later in the second quarter there. And Kuzma went in this thing about how they have to defend better. Uh, when he was asked directly by Chris Miller about communication, he said, we are all grown men at this point. So we have to learn to talk on defense. That's the key. If people want to communicate, then we can be a pretty good team. I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure if he was like calling out anyone specifically. I think Will Barton kind of called Kuzma out earlier in the game for missing a switch. So uh, yeah, that, that, that was kind of um, something that caught my eye a little bit more than than I think a you know meaningless halftime comment normally would. But what did you think of the team's defense? And, and do you read anything more into the defense communication comment there? Uh, I mean, I love that. You need guys that aren't going to take this uh, as like an answer. You can't have another year where you got Brad saying we can't guard a parked car. He said that the last three years we actually can't guard a parked car. Uh, I thought the defense improved from uh, Brooks to Unseld last year in the beginning, but we kind of fell off. And I think this type of we need to defend. And if we don't, that it can't be the status quo. Um, I think that's that's good for us. We need to make it our number one priority, because if, if we play defense, we have the talent on offense that we can win games. So I, I love that Barn and Kuz are stressing defense. Um, I thought in the first quarter, the team defense actually looked really good. We were getting our hands in the pass lanes. We we're getting a lot of deflections. I mean, I think Delon Wright had three steals. He's I don't even know. He's such a good defender. I don't even know how to describe it. He just completely changes the game when he comes in defensively. But I thought the team defense looked really good. A couple of negatives I'd have to point out. It's just the transition defense was horrible. Really, there really was about in the Second quarter to third quarter, Nick Richards, Mark Williams had about six to eight rim runs. Yep. Just wide right down the floor. And I don't know if you can pin that on Gafford and on Carey because a lot of times they're finishing and then their guys already down the floor. You got The guards got to run back pick it up if you're on the round three-point line that's your assignment so definitely got to clean up the transition defense um and then I also thought that the rebounding defensively wasn't sound um I mean Nick Richards is not the greatest rebounder but he seemed to torch just last night um same with Mark Williams they're again on the glass uh Gafford's really got to box out because I don't know how long Porzingis is out I heard that it might not be too bad but He's got to step up. Carrie's got to step up. And you can't be given offensive rebounds, especially to a team like Charlotte that knocks down the three as well as they do. You really got to limit them offensively um, if you want to win the game. Yeah, I mean, they let JT Thor run so amok last night that Drew Gooden compared him to Giannis at one point. I I thought that was a bit extreme, but uh, he he did definitely kind of, um, you know, go unchecked for a while there. I, I would pin some of this on Gafford. I've been higher on Gafford than most. So as a Gafford truther, I'm willing to say when I think he was sort of um, below expectations defensively last night, they gave up 20 points in the first half in the paint. And a lot of those were with Gafford on the floor. And I almost wonder if that's who Kuzma was pointing out um, or calling out sort of indirectly there, because 
twice Gafford's man leveled one of the guards with a pick and, and they definitely didn't seem to expect a pick coming. They were kind of blindsided by it. So that to me is somebody probably not, you know, calling out a switch or a screen. Um, so that, that, that's, that's why I kind of think maybe Gafford was the the guy there, but he's got to be better defensively. I thought he was really good offensively last night. He ran the floor really hard on the other end, but yeah, to your point, you, you can't let Nick Richards um, look like Moses Malone, you know, like he, he was, uh, he was kind of tough for them to match up with for a, stretch, eh, for a stretch there. So the Wizards were up 61, 58 at halftime. This was not a good Charlotte team, in my opinion, and won't be a good Charlotte team. So I try not to read too much into the preseason, but uh, the effort was a little surprising. I mean, you'd think at least for the first half, they could manage to, to muster a full effort. Porzingis did look good. He had 20 points in the first half, only three rebounds. I think that goes back to your point about defensive rebounding. They're going to need more from him throughout the year. I think if he's an eight rebound a game guy or more, they're they're in much better shape than if he's a five or six rebound a game guy. Also, a lot of shots like 30 feet away from the hoop. I, he took four threes in the first half, which I can live with that many threes, but the other shots can't all be 20 footers too. So would you like to see more, I guess, offensive versatility from Porzingis uh, this season? I mean, 100%. Like when he's knocking down his first three threes, obviously you're going to be like, yeah, this is great. You can't guard him because you right. can't contest his release point. But I mean, he he's unguardable. If he just puts two feet in the paint, he's going to get fouled. Mm-hmm. He's like an 85 plus percent free throw shooter. It's not like um, like a Giannis situation early on or like a, we saw Mason Plumlee. Like most centers can't shoot free throws, but yeah. he knocks them down. So he'll make you pay if he gets fouled. Uh, and, and when he gets two feet in the paint, He's got a nice turnaround jumper. He's strong. He can bully his way into the paint, draw fouls on the center. I feel like if whenever we would play Porzingis, whether it be on the Knicks or the Mavericks, if he took the three, I would sit back as a Wizards fan and be like, I'll live with that. Yep. If he makes the three, I'll live with him making the three because I can't do anything if he gets two feet in the paint. So you like it when he's making it, but I would I would like to see maybe three to four threes a game taken from him and the rest of the shots more so in like the block area and down low. Um but yeah, I mean, when you can shoot free throws like that, when you can finish around the rim, I think it's just a bailout at that point when you're shooting threes. So, especially with Beal not in the game, you know, I think there's more room for him to kind of take a an overall offensive focal point uh, position. But we'll, we'll see. Again, they they talked about trying to use him like they used Jokic in Denver and run him out of the high post and let him create offense. And I've actually seen more uh, passing from Gafford so far this preseason than I've seen from Porzingis. But between the two of them, I think. Given what we've seen from Monte Morris, he's not going to be the creator for everybody. He's kind of more of the spot-up shooter, solid defender, ball mover type. He's not going to give anybody like a lot of free points. So if they can all create a little bit, I think that's to their benefit. So I think you'll get more from Porzingis as a facilitator as well if he's not sort of the guy that's just like in the corner shooting threes and, and stuff like that. I actually thought Kuzma was probably like their best air quotes point guard last night. I thought what he really did to create, especially in the second half was good. The assist numbers weren't high, but he was a guy that like, you know, created hockey assists for people. Like if he led the team in hockey assists this year, I, I wouldn't be surprised. There were a couple of times where he would drive, penetrate. He kicked one to DeLon Wright, who had a look at it, but he kicked it to Rui for a wide open look. And twice during the game, Rui bobbled passes on three pointers, which, you know, he if he's going to be in the corner, he's got to know. To, to shoot that and have his hands up and, and ready. So what do you think about Morris's creation and uh, his ability to, you know, kind of be a, a primary offensive facilitator for people? Uh, well, if, from the game last night, he had five assists in the first quarter, which is uncharacteristic. Uh, he'll usually average like six to seven assists per game. He's not going to be like the John Wall or Russ getting 10, 12 assists per game, putting it on a platter for his center. But when he, when he's in the game, there's just kind of a sense of calmness from everyone, you kind of understand that he's going to be moving the ball. You're going to get into your offensive sets um, and, and you're going to get good looks no matter uh, who's in the game with him. He knows what he's doing. He knows Coach Unseld's offense from Denver. Um, so I think he does a really good job of that. When I was debating whether to start him or right, it was just it came down to offensively. He's he's just superior in terms of running the offense. The defense might not be there, but he's still above average defender. Uh, and he really he gets people going. You'll see when he plays next to Brad, it'll just be night and day between what Dinwiddie gave us last year in terms of the only scoring guard 
versus what he'll give the Brad uh, good passes off pin downs, getting action set and ready for Porzingis and for Beal. So I think he's just, he's just a game changer. I don't know. We had Russ, we had wall. We've been blessed with point guards, but I don't know if we've had a point guard of his caliber in terms of uh, running the offense since probably John. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what he has to burn. Been like a little less high on Morris so far, I, I think, to be honest with you. Like, I think he's really solid, but I don't think there's sort of that next gear with him. I actually think I would maybe consider starting right, at least for, for the first media timeout, just for that sort of defensive tone and spark and to let the other teams know like, hey, their point guard is going to have to work hard to start the game. I, I think Morris is perfectly fine defensively, but we've seen the last couple of years that, you know, your six foot point guard isn't a huge deterrent on on the defensive side. And I think you mentioned early on here, like that, that right just gives them sort of like a little bit of juice when he comes into these games and finds a way to always get his hand on the ball. He's been a pretty good spot up shooter uh, so far. He made a couple threes last night and I think he shot 38% from three last year. So I don't know if you remember like when uh, Gary Payton, the second joined the wizards at first, like five games, they actually changed games defensively for them because he was like the one guy that was a good point of attack defender. I think that's something that's been really missing the last couple of years. And I think Wright could do that better for you than Morris. I would still give Morris more minutes overall, but you know, maybe just you have Wright come in early off the bench or something just to, to set the tone or, or whatever that would be. But I, I've liked Wright's minutes kind of more than I expected to. And I kind of find myself wondering like why he couldn't get on the floor for the Hawks last year. Like, it just seems like that's the exact kind of guy they needed and He's like the poor man's DeJounte Murray, who they just traded everything for. So it seemed like they think they needed that kind of guy too. So a little, little strange to me. Yeah. Um, do you like, would you consider like maybe starting right in specific matchups or do you, are you more so like a set in stone? We have one starting lineup. I'd rather start right and then have Morris kind of take the role off the bench, but still get more minutes. It's interesting. Like the Warriors were very good in the playoffs about like their starting lineup by matchup and by round almost like based on the team. So it seemed to work for them with their kind of fringe guys. I think they just have too much respect and there's too much track record between Wes and Morris for them to ever consider not starting him. So I know it's not really realistic, but I think what they need from him early is like him to pick up 94 feet or something like the first couple of possessions just to like, you know, maybe set the tone a little bit more. They've just got to be better defensively this year. Like to your point, they were a little better last year, especially early in the season. And then it just cratered by like game 10 or 12. We need them to just be like locked in for the whole year for this team to, to really do anything. And I like, you know, Kuzma calling people out. Gafford's got to be more solid. He chases blocks and things like that. And, and he just can't have that. Same thing for Porzingis. I thought he was a little soft around the rim last night. Not you know, considering the fact that they played a team that um, didn't really have much of a real interior presence. So uh, th there's just got to be more effort on that end. And I, I think Wright is at least the guy so far I most expect to see that effort from. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, Wright or that Morris can't do that too. All right. A couple other names from, from last night I, I thought were worth mentioning. Vernon Carey, I thought gave them some good minutes. I, I've been down on Carey just because I, I just don't see what he really brings to an NBA floor long-term, but I thought he was better. He looked slimmer and more active and he ran the floor harder than he did. He was kind of plodding his first year in Charlotte slash Greensboro. So he's, he seems like he's taking the challenge on seriously to be, be a guy that can impact the game. He's got good touch around the rim. Doesn't really shoot it. And I feel like a guy like that probably needs to be able to shoot it long-term to, to be able to get on the floor. But what do you think of Carey so far? I actually, I thought he played really well. I, I agree with you. Um, his touch around the rim, like you mentioned, he got a couple offensive rebounds. He's really battling on the glass. He seemed to be the only person that could control both offensive and defensive glasses. Uh, if full effort, you can really tell he knows that he's kind of on that bubble. I think he's pretty much a roster, a roster lock, but he really gave good effort. He fought on the boards. Uh, and when he got those rebounds, he had good touch around the rim. He had the little over the left shoulder, a uh, little push shot. Um, around the ramp, he even knocked down a mid-range jumper, yeah. which is which was great to see him kind of expand his game. You can really tell he worked on that shot during the offseason. Uh, but I thought he played very well, way better than what he did last year. You kind of saw a glimpse. Uh, I think we ended the season at Charlotte last year, and I thought he played very well in that last game. So it's nice to see him kind of continuing his progress. Uh, and when KP went down, I usually would be like, 
oh, what are we going to do? Like we would start Robin Lopez in past years or something. But I was like, you know what? We'll put Gafford in. He started 40 plus games. You move Gibson up. He's a 14 year veteran. He, he knows what he's doing. He's more than capable of filling that backup role. And then if something happens and he needs to move to power forward, I'd be comfortable with Carey even starting. I think the only person I'm not comfortable giving minutes to at this point is Isaiah Todd. So I'm very, I'm very happy with what Carey's done. And I feel confident if I have to play him that he will perform and he'll, he'll play the best uh, role that he can be. Early in the preseason, I wasn't sure if like Carey would make this roster long-term, if uh, you know what the financial implications with that would be, would obviously dictate some of what they were willing to do with him too. But I was like, yeah, you got Porzingis, you've got Gafford. They love Tosh Gibson and have just raved about him all preseason and, and training camp. So it's like, yeah, where are their minutes for Carey? But I think you just see this with Porzingis already. There's already an injury. Again, it probably won't be too serious, but you probably do just need like a fourth body just in case. It, it can't be Gafford and Gibson, uh, you know, holding you down for potentially stretches of the season. But yeah, it's better to see him look good than than not. So hopefully um, he can keep adding to his game and, and they'll kind of, their trust in him will grow a little bit more. The other name that seemed to take over Wizards Twitter last night was Quentin Jackson, undrafted free agent out of Texas A&M. He's athletic. He's got some wiggle to him. He's um, he's just a bouncy guy that comes in and, and you can kind of feel energy when he enters the game. Saw a lot of how did this guy go undrafted? Well, as much as I liked his eight minutes last night, it was still only eight minutes. And I think people have to recognize that there was a whole body of work collegiately that there's a reason he didn't get drafted. Uh, but hey, I, I'll, I'll take it. I thought he was good. I don't know that I'm ready to lock him into a long-term contract. Like I saw some people proposing, but that two-way seems to make sense to me. You've got an open two-way spot. I don't know who's kind of a better option for that than Jackson at this point. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. He, I mean, I know people saw the video of him dunking after the whistle last night. He, he has serious bounce. He's very athletic. Um, and it was weird because he didn't play much in summer league. He didn't get the minutes that Davis or, or like Devin Dotson got, but when he played towards the end of the games, he was kind of dominant. He put up 10 plus points. He played very good defense. He was kind of a menace on the defensive end. And that's the type of person you kind of want in your organization. If he has all those tools already athletically, defensively, all he needs to do is develop his offensive skills and, and he'll be there. But uh, I, I like him at that two-way spot. I'd also offer up Jordan Goodwin. Yeah. I thought he, based on his minutes last night, he was one of the first people off the bench, which was surprising. And I guess because you don't have Kispert, you don't have Beal, you're kind of down on your two guards. You want to start someone um, like Goodwin off the bench, trying to give him minutes. So I thought that was interesting. Maybe uh, Unseld wanted to do that, get a better look at what he provides. But he's just a scorer, Goodwin. He he can really get buckets. He can he can drive. He can shoot. He knocked down a really nice contested three last night. So I would say it's definitely between Jackson. It's between Goodwin. I would personally choose Goodwin. I just think the scoring is there. He's a little less raw or more. I'd say Jackson's a little more raw in terms of his offensive skill. So I wouldn't mind signing him to just a straight G League contract, kind of developing him the way we've done Goodwin the past couple of years, and then see if maybe they can turn into like a Jordan McRae who came through our G League system for a while, came up to the NBA and just scored. He was just a scorer. So uh, I definitely think it's between those two for the last two way. I would go Goodwin. I love everything you just said. I was actually going to take this maybe one step further and say that Goodwin deserves like a real full roster spot. And that probably would have come at the expense of Vernon Carey. So you have to see how that that really plays out. But I, I've been like a long-term Jordan Goodwin stan on this podcast. He's been on the show a couple of times. He's a great dude. The last interview we had with him, he talked about like wanting to come in and play like the Jose Alvarado role for them and like just try to strap up 94 feet and play with energy. I thought he instantly came in and helped them on the boards last night. The guy was a an almost double digit rebounder in college as a guard, which is insane. And he's kind of a walking triple nickel, you know, like he was always going to get five assists and five rebounds. And he just, he adds that energy. I think they need, he's also pretty athletic. Uh, to me, he could maybe do long-term like the DeLon Wright kind of role. Come in, play some defense, push the ball. He's going to have to continue to grow as a shooter. He was really streaky last year for the go-go, but when he's hot, he's hot. And like you said, he hit a tough one last night. So I loved Goodwin's minutes. And you know, maybe I'm getting overly excited about a guy that's probably a fringe NBA player, but but to me, he is an NBA player. So uh, yeah, I agree. If, if he's only destined for a two-way spot, I'm very okay with that. And 
honestly, if I'm Jordan Shackle right now, I'm a little nervous that both Jackson and Goodwin looked pretty good and and he didn't really do anything of note. So we'll see. Um, uh, let's talk about Porzingis here for another second and talking about uh, the, the injury there. There was kind of a back and forth from Drew Gooden and Chris Miller on the broadcast last night about, uh, you know, Gooden basically talking about how Porzingis can't kind of recklessly drive off one foot anymore and he shouldn't be Euro stepping and he should be going up over guys. I'm not so much concerned with like the, the way he chose to attack the rim. It just looked to me like a fluky thing where he stepped on a guy's foot. I don't know if going off of two feet would have presented a similar ankle roll or anything like that, but uh, I would like to see Porzingis play to his size a little bit more, but to me, this isn't like a cause for concern. It seemed like a fluky thing. It happens to every basketball player, especially when you're in the paint and it's crowded. You're going to step on a foot. I think this isn't another, oh, no, Porzingis is fragile situation. But how did you feel watching that? Uh, I mean, your heart always drops when he lands. He had one where he went for a dunk and he got fouled and he landed kind of like awkwardly. He planted his both of his feet and then his body kind of went the other way. So your heart always drops, but in terms of injuries like that, like when you talk about people coming off ACL injuries, there's always that year where you're kind of hesitant. You don't want to step on it wrong. You don't want to re-tear your ACL. But if you play that way, you're you're not going to amount to anything. You can't be playing scared. You can't be playing to just prevent injuries. Then why are you driving to the rim? If he doesn't want to injure himself, just stay on the three-point line and shoot threes. Like you're going to bang bodies down low. You're seven feet. You're a center. That's what you do. If you get injured driving to the basket, it's all it's unfortunate, but it's it's what's gonna happen. It's basketball. And I feel like Gooden would know that. Gooden was a guy that was the epitome of toughness. He'd always get his nose on the ball. He'd always have two feet in the paint. Um, but if you're Porzingis, that that injury is a fluke. We saw with Kispert, he was he went for a, a layup in transition, landed on a Warriors player's foot, twisted his ankle. I don't know, maybe twist. I think like, I feel like twisted ankles might be the most common injury in basketball. I mean, yeah. there's a reason people wear high tops. You know, <laughs> exactly. had all the injuries. He wears two ankle braces. You know, it's it happens. It's common. So, I mean, you have that fear. You don't want Porzingis to go down. He's your best player apart from Brad. But, you know, you, you can't be playing scared. So I would have to say, you know, I kind of disagree with the notion that he needs to land better. I just wanted to be aggressive and I'll live with the results. I think he had a couple of great points there too. And he is maybe the the player in Wizards history that I most hold my breath whenever he ends up on the ground, like of, of anyone I think we've ever had, because it's just, he's so big and gangly that like a, a bad fall could, could be kind of devastating for him. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, like the Wizards are always so snake bitten. I'm getting like a little nervous that we've already got Denny Davis, KP Beals gotten a, a COVID scare already. It just, it's like a lot for like a three game preseason stretch. So hopeful that all these guys come back strong and, and, you know, we can kind of see um, this team and it's full complement to start the season. Uh, we talked about uh, Kuzma's creation for others. I just want to bring up kind of one other random thing I, I saw relating to, to Kuzma, uh, I guess, heavy.com polled to anonymous NBA executives and they named six, what they said under the radar trade targets, but guys they didn't think should be that under the radar. And they had Kuzma's name linked to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, the Wizards obviously completed a deal with Dallas last year. So, you know, maybe there's some willingness to, to engage in some contract, uh, you know, trade discussion there. But do you think the Wizards would look to move on for Kyle, from Kyle Kuzma this early in the season? Or if he gets traded, is this more of a deadline thing? I'd say more of a deadline thing. I, I think in the next month or so comes up his deadline for uh, an extension. So when that hits, he'll be extension eligible. Uh, Rui's very soon to be extension eligible. Um, so it, it comes down. I feel like we talked about this a lot in the offseason. Rui or Kuz, you can't bring both back. You're paying Brad $250 million plus. You're paying Kuz, uh, Porzingis, like 36 a year for the next two or three years. You don't, you don't have the luxury of signing both of these players to the contracts they deserve or, and also what they want. They know their worth. They're not going to, they're not going to just settle here in DC because they want to be here because we want them to be here. This is their first contract. It's the first time to get paid. And if they leave because they want money, like make your money, you, you earned it. We can't afford to pay both of you. So I feel like right now we don't want to make too many unnecessary changes. I feel like if we're in a decent spot, probably about top six, seven, eight seed uh, come deadline, I don't think we're going to make too many moves. I think we'll play it out. Um, 
And then, you know, if we can't extend them, if the can't, if deal can't be reached, you know, we'll let them walk. But if we're, if we're in the same spot around the 10, 11, 12 spot, we're, we're years away from the top four, top five teams in the East. I think we definitely look to move one in. And look, if, if Kuz is, is not playing as good as Rui, if he's not as good as he was last year, and there's a team like Dallas, maybe the Lakers even want them contending teams calling you, giving you their first round pick this year. Uh, you know, that's the deal you got to take. You can't just sit there and try to shoot for the plan again. You got to move your assets when you can. So I don't want to trade him. I love Kuz, but if it comes down to that, I think he's the one to go instead of Rui. Yeah, I think situationally, that's that's going to be the case, right? Like if, if they're seventh, I don't think they can do that. They can't, they can't afford to let him go given what they just did commitment-wise to Beal. And if anything, I think they'd be more likely to be buyers at the deadline given that case than, than sellers. And the other names mentioned on there were Josh Richardson from the Spurs, Mo Bamba from the Magic, Harrison Barnes from the Kings, and TJ McConnell from the Pacers. Any of those names stand out to you as, as names of guys you would want the Wizards to keep an eye on? To be honest, those are, I mean, all four of those teams, you know, you think of those teams, you're like, okay, they might get Victor Wembayama. Like, they are going to be in the bottom of the tier. They're, I mean, Indiana might get the number one pick. They're going to trade all their veterans. I'm sure they'll look to trade Miles Turner. Um, San Antonio will look to move guys like Richardson, Doug McDermott, maybe. Yeah. Um, those are all teams that are going to be selling. And if, if we're if we're the sixth seed, if we're the seventh seed, you know, maybe you buy one of those players. I don't know who you're giving up. Um, I don't necessarily feel like we have too many roster holes at the moment. Obviously, those will be exposed as the season goes on, but I don't, I just, I don't know where those guys would fit. I mean, Harrison Barnes is a great player. Contending teams are going to be calling for him, but I mean, would he back up Barn at the three? Did that moves Kuzma and Rui down a spot on the roster and on the depth chart? So we'll, we'll definitely have to see where we're at, but none of those names, to be honest, really excite me. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. McConnell is at best what Wright hopefully gives you. Richardson, I don't really see where he fits on the floor. Uh, you hope that Johnny Davis can be what Josh Richardson is for these teams, you know, that kind of undersized wing defender, uh, scrappy guy. Bamba is like poor man's Porzingis. Harrison Barnes is basically a four at this point. So I would be out on on kind of all those names at this point as well. But to your point, I, I do think maybe they consider um you know, kind of kicking the tires on trades with some of these teams that are looking to sell off veterans at the deadline. Two other notes on kind of Kuzma and a potential reunion with Mavericks coach uh, Jason Kidd is sort of they played two seasons together in the, with the Lakers when Kidd was an assistant, but that was also the two lowest minutes per game seasons of Kuzma's career. So uh, I don't know that he'd be maybe super excited about going back to an assistant coach that played a role in him not playing a ton. So I don't know. Uh, one of the things we've been doing this season is just sort of keeping notes of like the worst Wizards takes that we've seen, uh, especially on social media. I've got one from the broadcast last night. I need, like I desperately need Chris Miller to stop calling Daniel Gafford the landlord. I tweeted this out last night, but like it really bugs me as a Maryland fan that will always be the nickname for Duke center Sheldon Williams. I think Miller knows that as a North Carolina fan that everybody called Williams that. So like we can't find anything slightly more creative for Gafford than reusing a former, you know, NCAA star center who didn't make it in the NBA's nickname. Just come on. We're better than that. I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't, I'm I can't relate to be honest. I'm not a Maryland fan. I'm sure this is a gripe that, that you dealt with. I have many with the broadcast over the years, you know, certain points, stuff like that, but I agree. I mean, You'd like to see, I mean, I like Chris Miller. I like the broadcast. I feel like they've done a really good job. But um, yeah, I definitely think we need a new nickname for Gafford. I call him Gaff. Uh, I don't know if anyone has anything else that they'd like to recommend, but if we can get a, a, a cool nickname for Daniel, that would be nice. All right. You heard it here, folks. We're, we're taking open suggestions for nicknames at this point. So if you got something, hit us up. We'll share them. Share them on Bolts Forever and stuff too. We'll, maybe we can get something a little better for Chris Miller to go with. Uh, I Greg, I don't know if you saw any of Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson's duel uh, the other night. Obviously, the second one got a little cut short because Scoot hurt an ankle early in the game. But the first one was like, I don't know, I think by all accounts, the best prospect v. prospect game we've seen in two decades, probably. What did you think watching those guys? And were you like me where you had the thought throughout the game like, damn, we really should have blown this thing up and, and this was the year to tank? 
I mean, hundred percent. I had the exact same thoughts. I mean, if I'm the if I'm the Jazz, if I'm the Spurs, if I'm the Pacers, I'm actively rooting against my team to win games. This guy, both of them are amazing, but it's just the size of Wembayama. You don't see guys like that big move the way he does. And you look at Porzingis, you're like, he moves incredibly well for someone who's seven three. Let alone Wembayama, who's bigger. He's he's probably a little more broad and shoulder, and he moves like the guard. He was, what, 7 of 11 from 3 in the first game. Uh, Scoot Henderson had 28 points in the first game. He got hurt in the second game. But it's just – it's a generational talent. I saw Richard Jefferson say, like, if this were LeBron and, and Wembayama in the same draft class, LeBron would go number two. And it's hard to argue with that at this point. I mean, just based on the the size and, and the potential that he offers a team, he takes you moons above what you are right now. Uh, I mean – for the for the teams that are tanking, they chose the right time. Uh, I don't know if they knew he was going to be like this, this good, but if they did props to them, they they really set themselves up to be a really good team in the next couple of years if they land him. So, I mean, I'm disappointed we can't get him, to be honest. Maybe we get lucky, but I'm excited to watch him. I think he's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, this is one of those things where, like, I think it's hard to sell players on a multi-year rebuild and the guys have to be on the roster while the team's actively bad. But if you're the Pacers and you go to Tyrese Halliburton, you're like, hey, we're going to be bad this year, but this is the guy you could get to play with next year. I think that's a much easier sell. It was interesting on, on the Bill Simmons podcast, they talked about if you're Oklahoma City, would you be willing to trade Chet Holmgren, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and like multiple first round picks to try to get whoever gets the number one pick this year. And I don't even know that a team would take that considering how good all those guys are. And, and I don't know that I'd blame them. So I, I don't, he might be the most untradeable player, you know, in the league right now. And he's not even in the league right now. So I, pretty interesting to think about um, if he's, you know, ever gettable or not. Uh, all right, Greg, the last thing I got for you here is just sort of an exchange I saw online that I thought was really interesting and I wanted to provide maybe a different perspective for folks. Um, at this point, if you follow the NBA, you've seen that Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole in the face and that TMZ leaked the video. And there was some kind of comments going around about their surprise that this video got out. And former Wizard Center, Atan Thomas, who is a friend of the show here, who I really, really like and respect, um, had some comments that I just kind of like to, to go through here. Uh, but he had an exchange with David Aldridge of The Athletic and and basically, Atan started by saying, like, NBA organizations leak media, leak information to the media all the time. And then a lot of times media pays them to do so, like an inside informant or a snitch. It's been happening for decades, but whatever Warriors employee leaked this, the TMZ should be fired. I actually agree that if you if you let this out, you should lose your job for that because you're actually being detrimental to your team. But but David Aldridge came back and said, What evidence do you have that media, in quotes, pays team or employees for info? And Natan Thomas said that he lumped TMZ and supermarket tabloid media into the big bucket of media, but they are media nonetheless. And he says his eyes are evidence that team employees have been paid for info. And he saw that his first two years in the league in Washington with Michael Jordan. It happens quite a bit, as he said. And Aldridge said, you know, not going to go back and forth with you on this, but he wouldn't define TMZ or Fox News or any of these people as media. And Aldridge said, people think everyone in my profession does what they do. This is the same BS you'd call out if someone made blanket statements like NBA players are bad fathers, which SI did back in the day. Anaton Thomas said he'd have to respectfully disagree that TMZ and all these guys are media and whether we want to claim them or not. And, uh, you know, it just it kind of opened an interesting thing up in my mind. To me, this is they're two very different things. The athletic and TMZ are not the same as someone who uh, went through a, you know, a prestigious journalism school and worked really hard to get that degree. It means a lot to me. I've, I've worked for major outlets. I know everybody that listens to this pod thinks I'm just some schmuck on a podcast, but I, I worked at ESPN. I worked at the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network. Like, I, you know, I have actual background in this stuff and uh, I've been around real professional journalists. And to me, TMZ is they're not journalists. So I think that's the distinction we should make here. There's entertainment media and then there's professional journalism. So just thought maybe as someone who is actively going through it right now, you can shed some light on how seriously, you know, people take their craft and how hard journalism school is and how rigorous attention they pay to things like that. And and 
how you know paying money for information uh, is not a thing that your professors are teaching you to do or promoting as a media tactic. So I will let you take it from here, Greg. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, we spent the first three months of, or first month and a half so far of all my journalism classes just going over all the procedures kind of that you need to go through in terms of listing your sources. It's the most minimal thing, but you need to do that. Um, what you just mentioned, you know, if you pay for certain things, um, sort of blackmail people, all the wrong things to do, we kind of learn not to do that. And that's the first thing that we're learning. So, I mean, it, it couldn't be more different. Um, I mean, I saw something with Jordan Schultz. He's a new NFL mm -hmm. reporter. Uh, and he was mentioning, like, in order to get into this, he was the one who broke the news that Gronk retired for the second time. He's like, I met with Gronk at a networking thing. I had to make sure I was his source yeah. so that when the time came for any news he was going to break, I said, you know, can you give me this news? Can I break this? Can I write a story about it? He said 100%. He was the first person to do it. He gets all this attention. He builds himself up. That's how you do it. You don't do it in journalism by paying money for people. There, It couldn't be more different. You got to establish yourself. And I think that's why you said, you know, that degree means so much to you and it means so much to a lot of people because in journalism, a lot of times it's yourself. You're building yourself up. You're building your own reputation up in order to gain a following, in order to gain readers. And um, for for that reason, I think, you know, it it, it does mean a lot. You, you work so hard to build your reputation and for him to lump uh, what the people did at TMZ and with journalists who work hard at their craft and to build themselves up, it it just doesn't go. I couldn't disagree with uh, with that more. Well, I agree with you, but you know what I mean? I hear you. Yeah, I mean, as someone who has, like I mentioned, a journalism degree, I would never attempt to call myself a journalist at this point. Uh, it just here's a entertaining, hopefully, basketball podcast and some blogging on the side. Like, but the teams, the team officials um, are, are not talking to me uh, about things. They're going to actual professional journalists like Chase Hughes and Ava Wallace and and that whole crew of people, Josh Robbins, like these are the people that have had, like worked hard to have credibility and relationships with all these people. And I promise you when they break a story, it's not because they've, you know, slipped some, some money to somebody to get it. Like, that's just not how this works. It's um, it's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more integrity involved than that. And, and I think Atan knows that about real outlets, but it's still, you know, it, it's just what does media mean at this point? And we hear fake news and old media, new media. And, and to me, I think the way we need to differentiate that is like journalists don't do that. So uh, hopefully that's, I don't know, some additional context for people. Uh, just circling back to the Wizards, there is an open practice on Tuesday night. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday afternoon, this is your reminder to show up. It's kind of first come, first serve. I can't imagine they're going to fill up the Verizon Center for an open practice. But again, 6 p.m. at Comcast Center. Doors open at 5 p.m. There's going to be some events and activities beforehand. And George Mirsan and Phil Chenier will be there signing autographs and stuff like that. And I think maybe they'll bring some of the players in and out. And then the final preseason game is Friday against the Knicks at 7.30 p.m. Greg, anything you're looking to see from the Wizards in, in either this practice or uh, the final preseason game? Uh, I think number one is just, like you mentioned, starting lineup. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're going to have some people out. I don't know if Brad will be back in protocols by then, but if we see Barnes start at that three, even if Brad's out, you'll kind of get to understand he's going to be the starting small forward. You'll move Rui to the six-man role off the bench. Uh, I don't think Porzingis is going to play. I don't see why you would play him. I feel like we've seen enough. I feel like he's in good enough shape. He's gotten his runs in. So I feel like he'll be out. I don't see Denny playing. I just, I feel like they've been really, really cautious with that groin injury. They want to ensure he's ready for the 19th. Um, so we'll see that. And it, it just comes down to Johnny Davis. We ha I've yet to see, I'm a believer. I'm very, I'm a very optimistic Wizards fan. I really hope it pans out, but Based on what we've seen, you really have nothing to grasp and to kind of hold your attention and say, you know, this guy has what it takes. This is why we picked him at 10. And and you'd like to see something like that. He scored last night. I thought he looked way more comfortable, mm -hmm. even though the stats weren't there in this game than he did in Japan. Agreed. Uh, but you just you want to see some not more, not just comfortability, but some skills, some showcase of talent a that we have. Of something would be nice more than just like one solid cut and a layup. Give me something to grasp onto to to be excited to watch you play in the, in the regular season. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Johnny Davis does, and hopefully we can get a win. I feel like we ended last regular season 
losing to the next on a buzzer beater to Julius Randle. I feel we play them every preseason. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. You know, season's right around the corner. So, yeah. All right. Most importantly here, where can people find you? Where can they find your work? I mentioned in the uh, intro here that you are a young up and coming journalist. You are an avid Wizards fan. You're a great follow on Twitter. But uh, plug yourself here a little bit. Let's let's get people to make sure that they're following uh, you for the whole season here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Greg Finberg, uh, capital G, capital F, F-I-N-B-E-R-G. That's where I tweet. I tweet for fun. I love the Wizards. Uh, so you can follow me there. And then uh, if you go to my profile under my pinned tweets is my blog that I started about a month ago. I wrote a story, release it around 1230 every Wednesday, you know, just about various topics like the starting lineup, the starting small forward, you know, just trying to write for fun, write about a team that I love and, you know, try to improve myself as a journalism student and in that field. So feel free to reach out if you have any questions about my blogs. If you have any feedback in terms of my writing, I'm trying to improve. So any feedback is necessary. And lastly, I just want to say thank you for having me on. This is this is really big. I really appreciate the opportunity. I listen to your podcast every time it comes out. So it means a lot to be on here. So thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Greg. I think you did a great job for what it's worth. I appreciate having you on and we'll have to do it again later in the season. But again, everybody yeah. get out, follow Greg. He's killing it. Going to be hearing big things from him over the next couple of years. So uh, get in on the ground floor here. Greg, thank you again. As always, this was Believe in Wizards. Rate, review, subscribe. We'll maybe have something after either the open practice or the final preseason game here in the next couple of days to, to kind of tie a bow on the preseason and, and prep the regular season. So stay tuned for that, and we'll catch you all next time. And I can't forget to throw in that we were presented by betonline.ag. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done